John 19, sorry, in verse number 16. John 19, verse 16 says, Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier, a part and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. This morning, I'll be preaching from this passage of Scripture. We'll be considering uh, Jesus crucified outside the camp. Very, um, very powerful portion of, of the Scripture. And, and if you can stop and meditate on this and just imagine what Christ had endured here, um, both physically, but also um, spiritually what was going on here, we see um, a great deal in a few little words. Um, but the focus we want to look at this morning mainly is what he did for us as our mediator, what he did as our uh, sacrifice. Um, we can see in this passage various, you know, we can go in different, look at different aspects of it. Uh, but this morning we're going to look at um, Christ dying for the guilt of sin. And that he was numbered, and we see that kind of figured in that he was numbered with the transgressors. We can see that Christ died um, for the, the filth of sin, and that he was crucified outside the camp, or outside the city. We also see that he died uh, for the shame of sin, as he was removed of his outer garments, and there in the shame and the nakedness of the um, this crucifixion, um, he died for our uh, sin and shame. So let's think, first of all, of the, the guilt of sin. Uh, Jesus was crucified. We can think, we see here that before, prior to the crucifixion, that they sent him to, uh, to the cross, bearing the cross. He sent them to the crucifixion, bearing the cross. And the Romans uh, made the condemned person carry their own cross to the place of crucifixion. That it was just part of the torture and the torment that the Romans devised that not only would they beat them and scourge them, uh, not only would they torture them upon this cross, but they would also have uh, bore their cross 
they carried it to the place of crucifixion. And so Jesus had been up all night, first in the upper room, and then to that mock trial, and now um, he was beaten and scourged, um, and now on his way to be crucified, bearing, bearing that uh, cross with him. We could think of Abraham whenever God told him to offer Isaac. And Isaac and Abraham, they take the, the wood for the, the sacrifice and they go up and, and Isaac asks Abraham where the sacrifice was and that God would prepare, uh, God would, would make the way, he would prepare the sacrifice. And, and here the Lord Jesus on his way to offering himself there at Calvary uh, bore that cross. He bore the cross just as he bore our sins. Um, he, the, the reason that he was condemned was not for his own sins, uh, for he was innocent, but he was there um, dying for our sins. And as the weight of the cross bore down upon him, and the other gospels say that um, they had to get uh, Simon to come and assist him because uh, the, the weight of the cross um, the weight of the sins was upon our, our Lord and Savior. But they get him to the cross and they crucified him. And, and just in those little words, uh, that's all that John gives us, they crucified him. John doesn't go into detail. Really, the gospel writers don't go into detail. You and I sometimes want to imagine the, the physical thing, what it might have been. But... Um, the gospel writers don't go into much detail exactly what happened. Psalm 22 actually goes into more detail than the gospel writers as it foretold. But we know what it was to be crucified. Jesus was taken there and they drove the nails into his hands and into his feet. And they lifted him up to die. And he hung there on that wretched tree hung from the nails in his hands and in his feet. Not only did he have the, the shame of being stripped and, and hung upon that cross, not only did he have the pain of the scourging and the whipping uh, that uh, the psalmist said his bones were exposed. Isaiah says they, they ripped the beard from his face and that his face was marred more than the sons of men that he was he was disfigured from their beating and their, the, the blood that was upon his brow from the, the crown of thorns and, and now hung up, not able to move, not able to, to do anything. Hung to that cross, lifted up off the earth, exposed to all. I can't imagine the physical torments that that would, that would uh, go through. They say that it is most... Uh, cruel and, and vicious and torturous way that one could be put to death, that, um, that the only way to, to be able to breathe is to lift yourself up, and to lift yourself up would either be to push off with your feet and, or lift up with your hands, and it's just a back and forth between sort of a, a suffocating and the, just the torments of the process. All this physical pain is real. And why did, why did he do this? Why did they 
Why did they crucify the Lord? Well, it was all part of God's um, plan of redemption. Jesus committed no crime. And, and we see the cowardice of Pilate here to condemn a man, not only to death, but to such a torturous death um, for the fear of the Jews. And we see the bloodthirstiness of those who hated Christ, that they didn't want him just to die, but they wanted him to be put to shame and to be tortured. Well, this is what um, our Lord endured for us. They crucified him. They tortured him. They, they murdered him. The Lord of glory. Well, it's true that they, they did this because they hated him, but it's also true they did this um, because um, this was the plan of God from the beginning. If you look in uh, John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, this is what was going to happen. John chapter 3 and verse number 12, he says to Nicodemus, If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up from heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So here at the, the onset of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, he told Nicodemus that he would be lifted up. But not only that, he refers back to Moses. He says, you remember the story where the serpents, those fiery serpents, were um, biting the children of Israel. And there was no cure for this poisonous uh, bite of this snake. Snakes everywhere. They were biting everyone, and, and there was no cure. Well, God told Moses to go and make a brazen serpent and lift that brazen serpent up. And whoever would, would look upon this brazen serpent would be saved. And Jesus said, likewise, the Son of Man must be lifted up. And so back there in Moses' day, if you got bit by that snake, there was only one cure. You had to look at the, the serpent, lift it up. You had to look upon the, um, the only means by which you could be healed of that, that disease. And that prefigured the Lord Jesus Christ, who was made sin for us and lifted up upon the cross, that whosoever believeth in him and looketh to him would be saved. You mean, Moses, you don't want me to go and go to the doctor? You don't want me to go and find some medicine? You don't want me to go and, and bleed the wound and do all these different things? No, Moses said, look, this is God's means of salvation here. There's no other way. Look. You don't want me to do good works? No, look. Do you, you don't want me to, to, to start keeping the law? No, I want you to look. I want you to believe, and that's what Jesus said, that as the serpent was lifted up, so must the Son of Man, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Have you been bitten by, uh, by the sting of sin? Well, of course you have. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, there's no hope for anyone except that we look to God's only remedy 
for sinners. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by our works, not by our tears, not by um, any other means. If there was some other way, we'd plead with sinners to go that other way. If there was some other means, we would, we would beg, um, go uh, and, and be baptized. Go and, and take this sacrament or that sacrament and go and do this work or that work. But there is no other way. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, even our Passover is sacrificed for us in this text. He was crucified just as he said he would and just as the Old Testament prefigured that he would. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four 24 says, For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard him. Isaiah 53 said, It, it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief, but he made his soul an offering for sin. So it wasn't just this um, instance of the, the Jews doing a bad thing and the Romans doing a bad thing, but there was something else going on here, that Jesus Christ was our our Passover. The Passover celebration was going on in Jerusalem, but here was the true Passover. Here was the true Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Here was the true Lamb being slain. Here was uh, the true blood that was shed. Here was the true Passover where the wrath of God would pass over man um, for whosoever believeth in him and puts their trust in what he does for us shall have everlasting life. Here on the cross is the sin bearer, the Savior, the one to whom uh, cleanses from all unrighteousness, the one to whom the Lord was pouring out his wrath, the substitute. As our sin was laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it pleased the Father to bruise him, to, to crush him for our sake. I have sinned and come short of God's glory, and what remedy do I have? I I can't go back in time and fix what I've done. Um, there, there's no remedy for the things of the past save the Lord Jesus Christ who bore my sins, all of them. The sins of the past, all the sins I'll ever commit. He bore them there on the cross. And it pleased the Father uh, to crush him, to bruise him as a sin sacrifice. And what does the Father... some? I don't know who said it first, but uh, it's a common saying. The only thing I contributed to the to salvation was my sin. It was it was my sin that Christ died for and paid for um, there at at Calvary. And so, see him this morning. Don't just see him um, as a man that was in a lot of pain. Don't just see him as one that was wrongfully uh, convicted, but see him as the Son of Man lifted up the Passover sacrificed for us. The substitute dying for sinners. Yes, the physical pain was real. The, the suffering was real. The, the nails were real. The spitting and the scourging and the cursing and the shame was all real and true. Um, but know that there was more to that than just a crucifixion. It was the Son of Man dying for sinners, taking the place of sinners at, at, there at Calvary. So there we see the guilt of sin. Christ bore our sin. He made his soul an offering for sin. He took our sin upon him. He was made sin for us. The wages of sin is death. And Christ took our sins upon him and, and bore God's wrath in our stead. Well, the next thing we want to look at is the filth of sin. So he bore his cross 
and went to a place called of the skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. And they were crucified um, with him, two other with him, one on either side and one and Jesus in the midst. So here we see Jesus in God's providence was not put to death in Jerusalem. They didn't stone him there where he was at, and they didn't crucify him in the town, but he bore his cross and went outside of the city. He left, he left uh, Jerusalem outside of the place, and that's where they crucified him. I want to look at a few passages in Leviticus. So uh, turn with me to the book of Leviticus. This is, there's a very important reason why this happened this way. We say, but just sacrifice them because they're not going to sacrifice somebody. They're not going to uh, execute somebody downtown. They're not going to do this right in the middle of the, the main district. Such a brutal thing. Of course they're going to do it outside the camp, outside the city. Well, there's a, a bigger reason why they did this. In Leviticus 6, um, verse 30, it says, and no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten and shall be burnt with fire. So when they would make a sin offering, they would, they would kill the animal and the blood would be sprinkled upon the altar. But with the sin offering, that which wasn't offered to God was taken away. And they burnt it up. Um, because there, there was two different pictures going on here. Sometimes they would take and they would, um, you know, they would eat the, the sacrifices and so forth. But, but here, with the sin offering, they would, um, they would take that carcass outside the camp. So if you look in uh, chapter 4, in verse number 12, it says, Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out, and where they burn him on the wood of the fire where the ashes are poured out and be burnt. So they take the carcass outside, not inside the holy place or not inside the, the tabernacle or the temple, but outside the camp. And... And we'll look at one more in Leviticus 16, 14. This is talking about the, the Day of Atonement. Leviticus 16, 14. says, And he shall take the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat. Eastward and before the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle the blood with the finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for his people, and bring his blood within the veil. And do that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock sprinkled upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now verse number 27 and the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering whose blood was brought into the holy place shall one carry forth without the camp 
and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water, and afterwards he shall come into the camp. So the blood is sprinkled for the, the, the atonement. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And now you've got this animal carcass. Well, what do you do with that animal carcass? Well, that animal pictured being a sin bearer. The sin was, was laid upon the animal. The animal bore the price, which is death. The blood was shed and the blood was sprinkled on the, the mercy seat for an offering of sin. But now you have the carcass of this animal that remains, the sin bear. It was the dirty parts of the animal that the Bible says, the flesh and the skin and the dung. The dirty and the, the filthy parts of the animal. And so they carried it outside the camp. They carried it to a place where they had burned things, where uh, the, the unclean things would go. It was so dirty, in fact, and so ceremonially unclean. The man that carried the body out had to then bathe himself and wash all of his clothes because just touching that animal made him unclean. It shows the, the filth and the defilement of sin. Now, let's go to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews explains to us what all this means. Hebrews, in the last chapter of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse number 10. Now, all this was going on in Jerusalem. They killed the Passover lamb. That, you know, they, would, they would take it out. There was already a place there that they would take it outside the city. And, and all the time, they, were, they would burn the sin offerings outside with the filth. Well, Listen to what the book of Hebrews tells us about this. In verse 10 of chapter 13, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the camp. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. So what does the altar or the author of Hebrews tell us? He explains all this to us and, and connects the dots for us. In the Old Testament, they had an altar. They would kill the sin sacrifice and they'd sprinkle the blood on there. Then they'd take the body outside the camp and they'd burn it. And they'd do that all the time. Every year, they, every time they'd have the sin offering, they'd go through this. This procedure with the sprinkling of blood on, and on the altar and the, the burning of the, the, the animal outside the camp. Well, the author of Hebrews says we have an altar and that altar is not made with hands. Religions have altars. Some, some churches say they have altars. Some people say they have family altars. We have an altar. But our altar is the Lord Jesus Christ. The author here is telling us just the opposite, that we should have some piece of furniture because that piece of furniture is what the Jews did. They had an altar. 
and they did all this stuff with their altar, but it pictures our altar. We have an altar. We have a place of the sacrifice. We have a holy place where the blood um, was shed, but that, that altar is the Lord Jesus Christ. So if I tell you to come to the altar, I wouldn't tell you to come up to a piece of furniture. I'd tell you to come to the true altar, the Lord Jesus. Come to him who, who died for sin. Come to him who has the propitiation for us. The holy place, the only way you can come unto God is through Jesus Christ. We have an altar not made with hands, but the Lord is our altar. And he is also our sacrifice. He was the place of the sacrifice. He was the propitiation, but he also was the sacrifice. And his blood was shed for us. That we would be sanctified. That we would be cleansed by his blood. But Christ was also made sin for us. So the author of Hebrews tells us that's why he went out, they took him outside the city. Yes, practically, that's where Pilate crucified the outlaws. Yes, practically, that's where um, they, they put to death um, transgressors. But this was all according to God's ordained plan that, that Christ would be um, put to death outside the camp. Outside the city. Because he was our sin bearer. He was a curse for us. The Jews said, we have no king but Caesar. And so there the sacrifice was not offered there in Jerusalem. It was not offered in the temple, but it was outside the camp. Outside the gate. And Jesus here, as he went outside the gate, once and for all, put an end to the Levitical ceremonial system. All of their sacrifices, all their offerings, all their feast days, it was all put an end to here as he went outside the gate and with his own blood suffered and sanctified his people. John Owen said he declared that his death and suffering were not only a sacrifice but a punishment for sin. Namely, the sins of the people would be sanctified by his blood. He went out, <clears throat> he went out of the city as a malefactor and died the death which by divine institution was a sign of the curse. When the Lord carried all the sins of his own people and his own body on the tree, he left the city as a type of all unbelievers under the wrath and the curse of God. Going out of the city as a malefactor, he bore all the reproach that was due him, the sins of the elect, which was part of the curse. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That he was our sacrifice. He was our altar. He was our sin bearer. He was uh, the, the one who shed his blood for, to sanctify us, to cleanse us. But he also bore away the filth of, of the sin. Thus, he outside the camp, he was numbered with the transgressors. And so let us go unto him outside the camp. Let us follow him, um, bearing his reproach. When we have no city here. There is no uh, temple here upon the earth that we go to. There is, uh, that has all been done away with. It's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there, as Isaiah 53, 12 says, he was numbered with the transgressors. So as they crucified him, they nailed him to that tree. 
They lifted him up off the ground, and there he was in the middle of two, two guilty sinners. The Lord of glory in between two transgressors. Our Savior hangs there among the outlaws and the thieves as our represent, representative. Among the guilty. And we, we might look at it and say, that's bad that he was there among the guilty. That's bad that he was there among the transgressors. Well, you and I are the transgressors here. You and I are the, the guilty ones. He was numbered with us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made cursed for us, as for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Galatians 3.13 well, The Old Testament also foretold that the, anyone that was hanged upon a tree is cursed of God. Well, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You and I are cursed because we broke God's law. Adam broke God's law and, and brought a curse upon all, all humanity. This earth is cursed. And we bore the weight and the guilt of Adam's sin. Born into this world a sinner, guilty, deserving the wrath of God. And here Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's what the law does for us. The law just tells us we're guilty. You can't be saved by the law. There's no hope for the law. I read something yesterday. It was talking about Someone was talking about the gospel is, is following the Lord Jesus with all your heart. Well, that's not good news because none of us in here this morning follow the Lord Jesus with all of our heart. That's a law that we're supposed to do that, but that's certainly not the good news. That's certainly not the gospel. The gospel is to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and then because you were saved, then you follow him with all of your heart. But, but the law curses us. Do this. And live curses us because we cannot do it. And so Christ redeemed us from the curse, the penalty of the law, because he was made a curse for us, bearing the penalty that we deserved. That's where we deserve to be. We are the transgressors of God's law. We have broken God's law. Apart from God's grace, we would be the ones shouting, crucify him. We would be the transgressors, the lawbreakers. Those that wag their heads at the Lord, the ones that could care, couldn't care less about what was happening. There were a lot of people there to see Jesus crucified, but there were a lot of people who didn't care one bit, one way or the other. That would have been us, apart from God's mercy. The Lord of glory hanging between the guilty and the condemned willingly, voluntarily uh, went to place himself in our stead, on our behalf, as our substitute. And Jesus told Nicodemus to look. John said, behold the Lamb of God. There he is, the Lamb of God, sacrificed for us. He burying the, the, the filth of uh, and guilt of sin. Uh, Pilate, the only time Pilate had a backbone here is he put that title upon the cross, Jesus Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And no doubt he was irritated at the Jews for, for all of the transpired. And, and 
probably just wanted to make sure that he wasn't going to get in trouble. Wrote King of the Jews, because that's what the that's what the Jews uh, wanted him to be tried at. And they said, no, don't say that. You need to change that sign. Um, say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews, not that he really was. I wonder if both Pilate and the Jews here trying to soothe the troubled conscience. Pilate, Pilate maybe because he rolled over every other time the Jews told him to do something, was going to make a stand somewhere else. And then now he can say, well, I, I stood up to him. That's how the human heart is. We're always trying to find a way to soothe our conscience. And then maybe, maybe the, the Jews were saying, well, he's not really the king of the Jews because he's, he's an imposter, and that's why we want to get rid of him for blasphemy. We don't say he really is one. Because if he really was the king of Jews, we, we would follow him. So maybe they were trying to, to soothe their guilty conscience. Sometimes the boldest of sinners on the outside um, do such wicked things and, and get stubborn to um, cover up their, their guilty conscience. But they did this in God's providence. Because there in Greek and Hebrew and Latin, anybody that went by could see this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. One commentator put it out, pointed out that that's what the thief told Jesus, the one that was saved. He said, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And maybe as Jesus was hanging there, he looked up upon that sign that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And we don't know, but maybe Pilate's scornful jab to get back at the Jews one last time, or maybe to save his own skin, maybe God used that declaration, that word, to convict, convict that guilty sinner. That he saw that sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, and maybe the Holy, maybe that's what the Holy Spirit used in that sinner's life to open his eyes to his desperate condition and the grace that there is in Jesus Christ. Because there, to his right and to his left, you have two guilty sinners, but one hardened his heart, and the other looked to the Lamb of God and was saved. But that's the truth. Jesus is the King of the Jews. There's our Lord and King nailed to a cross. You know, it's little wonder that this is foolishness to the wise of the world. He wasn't a conqueror of nations. He wasn't crowned with a golden crown and, and clothed in the finest of garments. The King was bleeding and suffering and humiliated. The king was executed and tortured. But there he is, that's my king. We think of kings and we think of them on their, their thrones and with their scepters and with their, their beauty and their glory. And you know, you saw the death of Queen Elizabeth. Maybe you saw the funeral and so forth. And you saw all the pomp and the circumstance. That's what people want in a king. That's what they look for in a hero. But my king, we look at him here in the text, bloodied and beaten and 
And for all things to the world, defeated, as it appears. Mocked, laughed at, scorned. Everybody but a few women and John had betrayed him and ran away. But there he is doing that for me. He did all that for me. He suffered for me. He endured the shame for me. He died for me. That he was nailed to that tree for me. He was taken outside the camp for me. And if you look to the lamb this morning by faith, there he is for you. There he is for all sinners who come to him in in faith. There he is, the, the savior of sinners. Dying for their stead. Now he will return. And he will come in glory and power. And he will, this despised Nazarene who who was nailed to this cross will come down in great power and honor and glory. But it is by faith his people see him in glory and power there on the cross, even in his greatest weakness. Well, there was another writing there besides this writing. In uh, Colossians 2, we find this other writing. It was also there upon the cross. This wasn't written by Pilate, and it wasn't written by the Jews. This is a, a, a spiritual writing, we might say. Colossians 2, in verse number 11, says, In whom you are circumcised with the circumcisions made without hands, in the putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein you are also risen with him, through the faith and operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinance that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So God gave a law to Israel and they had to keep it. Do this and live. But they didn't do it. They broke it. And that law is not for us. It's against us. The law condemns us. It doesn't save us. The law shows us that we're spiritually dead. It doesn't give us life. The law shows us the outward forms of circumcision didn't do a thing for the the heart, which was the real problem. All those types and pictures in Leviticus and in Exodus and in the old, all the Old Testament, they, they showed us that there is no salvation in that law. It only condemns us and it points to, to one who would come to fulfill all these things, to give true life. And so the handwriting of law that was against us, that was contrary to us, He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. That all those things that said guilty, 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 that you're not good enough, you can't meet the mark, you can't get the standard, you're you're undefiled, you're unclean, you need a savior, you need a sacrifice, all those things that are against us. 
was there upon the cross and he fulfilled all those things. That, that, that Christ kept the law for us. He is, our, he's, in the new covenant, our hearts are circumcised. He gives life. He bore our condemnation. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the covenant on our behalf. All the things that we were required to do and couldn't do, he did it for us. And all the things that are against us, they are nailed on the cross. All the things that, that God requires are there in Christ Jesus for you to receive this morning. All the do this and lives that the Bible requires are found in Christ Jesus. Not that, that you must do them, but that he did them for you on your behalf. And all. So he, he not only paid for our sins, but he sanctified us as well. He not only bore our shame and the filth and the guilt of our sin, but he gives us everlasting life. He does it all for us, and all we do is look to him. We look as they look to that brazen serpent and believe. Well, lastly, the, the soldiers took his garments. So he, he stripped of his garments and probably had a tunic. The outer garments is what they were talking about, and so that's probably what he had. And, and there he was, despising the shame, nailed to that cross. And I think of Adam and Eve. They were pure in the garden. Right? What does the Bible say very specifically about them? They, God made them and they were naked and not ashamed. They were pure. They were without sin. Well, they sinned. And what were they now? Well, now they're guilty. And once they were guilty, what were they? Well, they were ashamed. Because they went and hid from God. And they took leaves and they made them some clothes out of those leaves to hide themselves and to cover themselves because they were ashamed. God said, why would you do that? And he said, because we were ashamed, because we were naked and we were ashamed. Well, God killed an animal there and he took that animal skin and covered him. So, well, here, let us cover your shame. You've sinned and you've brought the curse upon you, but I'll cover you and hide your shame. Well, the Lord Jesus there upon the cross became that shame and that guilt for us. The first Adam plunged us into guilt and shame and the last Adam bore our sin and our shame. The last Adam was uh, uh, thrust us into the, or the first Adam thrust us into the curse. The last Adam redeemed us from it. The first Adam we inherit a defiled and guilty conscience. The last Adam, we have a pure conscience. We can be free from the, the guilt and shame that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And not to make too much of it, I guess, but, but as Christ was made an open shame there from the cross, these guilty soldiers now have the remnants of Christ. And when you and I behold Christ by faith and trust in him, He cleanses us of our unrighteousness and he robes us in his righteousness that we can be cleansed, but also righteous. I can say I'm a holy, righteous man this morning, not because I am without sin, but because I have Christ's righteousness. That I can enter into the kingdom because I am righteous, because Christ gave me his. This was prophesied in Psalm 22. It says, Verse 16, the dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. 
I may tell all my bones, and they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them. They cast lots upon my vesture. This was all ordained of God. Down to these soldiers gambling over Christ's clothes. Christ knew this because when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was quoting Psalm 22, 1. As Christ was nailed to the cross and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting the scripture that foretold of his sacrifice, of his crucifixion, of his hands and feet being pierced and his side being pierced and the enemies surrounding him. He knew what was coming. He knew what, the, what would entail. He knew the cup that he had to drink. He quoted this because he knew it. And he trusted. And knowing that he was doing what he came to do. This was all ordained by God. This wasn't plan B. It wasn't that God had a plan for the Jews and got halfway through and he said, well, let's go to plan B. No, this was the plan all along. We see through the history of redemption and the types and the shadows and the pictures the story of redemption being told from Adam and Eve being covered in the garden to the death of a sacrifice to, to the, the, the offerings and the ark and the, the Levitical priesthood. All these things were shadows and pictures pointing to the Lord Jesus that Christ came to save his people from their sins. In the volume of the book, it was written for him, written of him. That he died for our guilt, numbered with the transgressions. He, he cleansed us from the filth of sin outside the camp, sanctifying us with his blood. And he, he, uh, he gives us his righteousness and covers our shame with his righteousness, being made a person shame for us. Oh, look this morning, this blessed Lamb of God. And yes, he suffered physically, and yes, uh, he, he died and uh, died upon this cross, but also remember what he was doing there, the purpose of all this, that he was a, made sin for us, a sacrifice, a substitute. And all we do is look to him and, and be saved. May the Lord help us this morning to look to the Lord Jesus by faith. Um,